welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and doesn't approve of diving, but wishes Aston Villa had gotten away with it on Saturday. I'm Kevin Day, and benefiting from a terrible, terrible VAR decision is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? Well, I'm, I'm slightly ashamed to be a Brighton Hove Albion fan, if truth be told, Kevin. Finally, uh, yeah. at last. Yes. <laughs> To know that we have uh, Solly March, who, who I think for, forevermore will be known as the Butcher of Birmingham uh, <laughs> in our squad, is uh, is not something to be proud of. Yeah, I, I have to say, Kieran, uh, for a teetotaler, that was a, quite an angry WhatsApp message you sent me about 5 to 5 on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> 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 I would not like to have been a Villa fan on 5 to 5 on Saturday afternoon in Kieran's house. Um, it, it's questions day, uh, Kieran, obviously, but there is one... Big bit of news to discuss first. Uh, very big. If you're if you're an official British badminton, you'll be laughing at this bit of news. The government has announced a winter rescue package of three hundred million pound for some sports and some football. Yes. So <laughs> Oliver Dowden made this announcement um, on Thursday, and uh, I think that uh, the EFL were. A little bit hopeful they might have been included, but not very much because the presentations uh, before Parliament haven't gone particularly well in favour of football. Um, So this is a, as I say, it's a winter sports package. So therefore, that's why cricket has been excluded. Um, And there is financial support for the National League down, um, which which is good news. Uh, There's support for the WSL, which I think is excellent news because the WSL um, has has been very exciting so far this season. So there are some positives, but in terms of the professional game, uh, it's it's very much a case of football sort out your your own house. Um, and, and I do think that some of the things that we're hearing haven't really been thought through because one one of the, the justifications for not giving support to clubs in the EFL is that if the Premier League can afford to spend £1,200 million on players over the course of the summer, then it can afford to bail out the EFL. Yeah. But, but that ignores the fact if if the Premier League has spent £1,200 million somebody must have received £1,200 million, and that includes a lot of clubs in the EFL already. So you know, the EFL uh, has been the beneficiary of redistributions of monies. You, we've seen Ollie Watkins go from Brentford to Villa. Uh, you, you've signed a player from QPR. We've seen... That's right. We've seen um, you know other players move around. Wigan's administrators have sold some players. So you know, this is this is part of the the unseen benefit of the Premier League. And you know, I'm I'm no fan of the the overall distribution model. I think it should be far fairer. Um, I think there is the opportunity to to have a complete rethink. But some of the stuff that we've heard, I, I don't think the the people making the decisions fully understand. At the same time. Um, you can understand that from a you know, given that they are guardians of the public purse, the average salary in the championship is around about eight hundred thousand pounds a year. You know, as, as a taxpayer, do, do you want to be seen to be supporting an industry under those circumstances? How much of this three million pounds, Kieran? Do we know is going towards uh, the WSL and non-league football? 
I, I think we're talking around about sort of in, in the sort of the five to ten million pound brackets here, um, which which will be of assistance. I mean, the National League has uh, from the National Lottery grant ha- has enough money in theory to go through for the next two to three months. Although, of course, as we are aware, there is an ongoing dispute uh, as to how the cake should be sliced between okay. those particular teams. Okay. All right, let's go on to questions, Kieran, because we've got a lot of them today and they're a very good, eclectic mix as normal. The first one comes from David Burrows. Uh, and David says, what are the financial implications for broadcasters of the Premier League swapping to the model used in La Liga, or as it's known in some quarters, Premflix? Um, I think the the thing that David is referring to is clubs potentially taking control of their individual rights. I mean, this has been the case historically uh, in Spain, uh, where Barcelona and Real Madrid negotiated their own deals, as did other clubs. But that was actually changed. I think it was changed in around about 2016. The, 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 The Spanish government said that they felt that this was unfair. It was leading to, you know, as, as we know, that Spanish football has been a bit of a procession, um, as of all, of quite a, as well, have quite a few leagues in Europe. Although what we are seeing this season is is a, a far greater uh, element of unpredictability. Um, I mean, the the advantage uh, of clubs taking hold of their own broadcasting rights is that. If you are Manchester United or Liverpool or Barcelona and so on, these clubs are are global brands. They've got uh, large global fan bases and and therefore they can increase the money which the the clubs will generate. In doing so, of course, uh, it means that uh, the sporting element of being within a league is is diminished because at present in the Premier League, the difference between uh, the, the big six clubs and the other 14, to put them into sort of two broad pots, works out as around about £350 million a year. Now, if, uh, if uh, taking control of individual rights is employed and clubs are either streaming or or selling rights to the likes of Sky and so on, that £350 million gap would uh, significantly increase. Um, And from a a fan's point of view, um, I'm I'm not sure that that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, if, if you think about yourself at Palace, you're able to to pay Wilfred Zahar a, a very competitive wage. Uh, Jack Grealish at Villa is another example. James Madison at Leicester. J- Jamie Vardy at Leicester. And, and on, on the back of that, you, you're able to main, keep your, your best players. Whereas if we moved to a system where uh, the bigger clubs had 100% of the, the TV monies for their audiences, um, I think it would be a real challenge. Um, and, and you'd end up with really good players that we've that I've just mentioned effectively becoming squad players at the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs and so on, um, which means that they, that they wouldn't be playing 40 times a season. Yeah, they'd be getting you know, 20 to 25 games. And I'm not sure that actually football would be uh, overall a beneficiary. Okay. Uh, before we continue, Kieran, I need to apologise to you and to the listeners if I sound a bit bunged up. I I went into London Town yesterday for the first time in about four months, which is very exciting to do some actual filming in an actual theatre for uh, an appeal video. Uh, I came back with a cold, so that's that will teach me to leave the house to do some work for poor people in lockdown. Um, uh, I also came back about a stone heavier because uh, I had to eat a hobnob for each take 
That was part of the part of the comedy processes as I was eating a hot I was doing a thing with Griff Reese Jones and I was eating a hobnob and we did a lot of takes because Griff likes to get things right. And I, I got for a whole packet of hobnobs. Excellent. Uh, uh, which I presume with tax deductible because I ate them during the work, Kieran. Would that be right? Uh, they've got to be wholly exclusively and necessarily for the purposes of your employment. So um, it, it could be a tricky one. I, I think uh, uh, Johnny Numbers might have a challenge there. Okay, well, you, you just slightly if if that if that's a criteria for for claiming, <laughs> we'll have to go back over a lot of years' accounts, Kieran. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Damien Stanworth, and it it refers to something that keeps cropping up, Kieran, even though it's technically over. Uh, and Damien says we, and that's us presumably, and Damien regularly complain about the failure of owners and directors' tests to keep Romans, his words, from taking over our clubs. At Newcastle, we seem to have a case where that test has done its job and prevented a Rogan takeover. But there seems to be a lot of support still for that takeover in the media and amongst fans and a backlash against the owners and directors' test. Why isn't it accepted that the test worked? Is it just the uh, that we all have a different definition of what a wrong one is. And also, it's a fair point, Kieran, because Newcastle issued a club statement this week accusing the Premier League of leaking information about their arbitration case and muttering darkly about the Premier League's lawyers, the splendidly named Bird and Bird, uh, <laughs> which, which is a, a proper sitcom name for a lawyer. But Damien, Damien does has a point. It does has a point. That uh, does has a point. does have a point, doesn't it, I believe, doesn't he? Yes. Um, yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff, I, I think, to unpack from Damien's comments. Um, in terms of the owners and directors tests and Newcastle United, the Premier League did not reject the application. Right. What they did was that they were asking for more and more information. I mean, the advantage that the Premier League has over the EFL is that the Premier League has far greater resources and therefore can do a far deeper, more forensic analysis oh, right. as to the backgrounds of the, the potential owners. Uh, you know, the, the EFL is is under-resourced. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have a huge amount of money to spare, um, and, and therefore it tends to take a slightly, I wouldn't say more superficial, but it, it has to get things done um, on more of a shoestring budget. So the Premier League will claim that they hadn't rejected. What they were most concerned about was um, they were unable to determine who was the ultimate owner in terms of Newcastle United and PIF. Right. So, so that was the issue. Now, in, in terms of uh, the backlash amongst Newcastle fans, um, they, they wanted anybody – who wasn't Mike Ashley? Clearly, yeah, there's been yeah. a breakdown in the relationship yeah. there. And um, you know, to to paraphrase Joe Strummer in White Man in Hammersmith Palais, you know, if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send a limousine to collect him from the airport if he was going to take over from uh, Mike Ashley. You know, we're, we're not concerned about issues such as uh, human rights, uh, you know, the allegations, uh, and, and things of that nature. And and, and as a consequence of that, um, the the Newcastle United fans have been weaponized against the Premier League. They feel that they have been un- unduly targeted. They will they will point out that there has been Middle East investment yeah. in other clubs in the Premier League. Uh, there's also a potential Middle East takeover uh, in respect of Derby County, who we've not mentioned for a couple of weeks. So yeah. I thought you who you hold them in. <laughs> um, 
So, um, you know, he says, why isn't it accepted that test has for once done its job? Well, I don't think the test has done its job because no final decision has been made. Oh, okay. So, again, I've asked you this before. Are you implying then that this takeover is still a possibility? Yeah, it's it's not dead. It, it, this, oh. this this it's the fat lady has not yet sung that PIF cannot take over Newcastle United. Um, it, it's going to be more difficult, but more difficult isn't impossible. <clears throat> That's very philosophical, Kieran. You're quite right. But this statement this week, it was you that drew my attention to this club statement. It's quite an unusual statement. It's the, the anger sort of resonates from it that. that Newcastle accusing the Premier League of leaking information about their arbitration case. And as I say, they named the Premier League's lawyers and seemed to be implying that the Premier League's lawyers were not acting according to proper conduct. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit surprised at that. Uh, I mean, Bird and Bird were the law firm who undertook the review of governance at the EFL. Uh, And Jonathan Taylor QC, who I think uh, works for Bird and Bird, is held in in very high regard indeed. The the job of a law firm is to represent their clients. So uh, if, if if, if they go in softly, then frankly, they're not doing their job. Um, so I think we have to be a little bit cautious here. Clearly, Mike Ashley is is hacked off. Uh, he thought he had a, a check for three hundred million pounds arriving. Uh-huh. That's not yet arrived. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd I'd be a bit hacked off uh, if I hadn't received a payment I was anticipating of that magnitude. Uh, yeah, um, somebody still owes me sixty five quid for a job I did two years ago, and I'm furious. So three hundred <laughs> million quid would be coming coming very handy. Uh, Rudy Holzman is a worried Notts County fan. Rudy says, our Danish owners have signed a lot of players from the EU this season, Portuguese players, Danish players, Belgian players, adding to the Dutch and Irish players we already have in the squad. Will Brexit on the 1st of January have any effect on these players, especially as we won't be able to afford the sort of top-quality, silver-tongued, bird-and-bird type helpers that the Premier League will? Um. In in respect of uh, Rudy's comments, uh, for people aren't familiar with Notts County, they were taken over by the Reeds brothers um, from Denmark, uh, who are sort of football analytic people. So, so they acquired the club after the the former owner um, acts, had an accidental issue in terms of showing his todger on social media, which <laughs> sort of made his position a bit of a challenge. Um, and uh, clearly what they've done is that they've used their their sort of uh, deep dives into data approach to identify players uh, within the EU who uh, can potentially take uh, Notts County back into the EFL. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's good recruitment, presumably, if, if, if those players are turning out to be good. Um, will Brexit have any impact on these players? My understanding that existing contracts will be honoured and fulfilled. Um, For those people not familiar with the the uh, post-Brexit player recruitment environment, and and this is an ongoing uh, squabble between the Football Association and the Premier League, is that there is going to be a single approach taken for all non-British players that you have to satisfy certain criteria in terms of 
international caps, where you currently play your football in terms of uh, UEFA coefficients, things of this nature, how much you're receiving as present salary, and so on. So, And this all goes into one of our favourite words, which is, of course, algorithm. Um, and that churns out a yes or a no. And, and I think it's a fairly objective uh, way of recruiting players. The Premier League wants something which, which is looser. You know, they, they point out that uh, one of the downsides of, of Brexit is that they can no longer recruit players at the age of 16. They would have to wait till they're 18 and therefore um, they, they would miss out. You think about the likes of Cesc Fabregas who came yeah. to Arsenal at 16. So, so they want to use their scouting networks to pick up um, you know, young, younger talent in terms of uh, recruitment. And, and they're trying to get the FA on their side. The FA's viewpoint is that Brexit will give more opportunities to young English players. Although, of course, the paradox is that we have seen the likes of, uh, you know, of Sancho going to Germany and so on. It's, it's going to be more difficult for those English players who want to develop their skills uh, in, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in the non-Premier League environment. Um, and that's one of the criticisms of the Premier League. There is so much pressure on a week-by-week basis that clubs tend to be quite cautious in, in terms of giving younger players opportunities. And we are starting to see more English players, young young English talent, uh, you know, try, try their trades overseas. So th- there's pluses and minuses in respect of this. But uh, going, going back to Rudy's question, I, th- I think their existing uh, Portuguese, Danish, Belgium and Irish Dutch players, they they should be fine. Um, what happens when those contracts comes up for renewal does appear to be a little bit grey. Um, I'm hoping you know people will see sense and say, well, if you're already here, yeah. stay here. Yeah, we, we, I don't want to be associated with a uh, a regime which is going to kick people out uh, who who have taken on a contract of employment yeah. in good faith. Um, and also, the reason why Notts County will be offering those players player those players extensions on the contracts is because they've proven to be good. So therefore, they would have the support of the fan base as well. Yeah, I like the idea that one of those clever Danish brothers spent a year studying the algorithms and the metrics, looking for an English club to take over, and the other one went, "No, just wait till one of them gets their cock out on Twitter." It's, it's, it's going to happen. It's England. It'll happen, it'll happen eventually. We'll just, then we'll move in and buy that one. It's like, okay, fair enough. Um, Jamie Donnelly is taking us, I believe, on our first trip to Uruguay. And what he describes as the transfer ongoings at a club called Maldonado. Now, Jamie says the best example of their strange dealings, as he puts it, is striker Jonathan Caleri, who they appear to have bought from Boca Juniors for around 11 million euros in 2016. Now, it says euros. It may just be that Jamie's keyboard doesn't have the symbol for pesos on it. Uh, But since then, he says, the player, uh, Jonathan Caleri, has been on loan to Sao Paulo, West Ham, Las Palmas, Deportivo Alaves, Espanol, and now Osasuna. He's never played for Maldonado. Is there something going on? And by a strange coincidence, Kieran, or producer guy found this question down the back of his solid gold sofa. Mark <laughs> Mark Middling has asked, uh, and I think Mark Middling again. I love questions like this because it's a question that should have occurred to me. Mark Middling said, "Is it ever worth the club keeping a player just to load him out? I.e., over time, an annual loan fee would make more money than selling him or her." Right. Um, I'll I'll try and deal with these two questions uh, together. Uh, in, in respect of um, Jamie's questions and um, Maldonado, um, 
in in Uruguay, um, third party ownership of footballers is quite a common occurrence. Right. So therefore, although uh, the club may have signed uh, Caleri for around about 11 million euros, we don't know how much of that has come from the club itself uh-huh. and how much has actually come from... Um, we, we will euphemistically describe these people as middlemen. Uh, I mean, they are... I'm not saying that they are people traffickers, uh, but I'm not, not saying that they're people <laughs> traffickers either. Okay. Um, so I, I did a little bit of digging into uh, Jonathan Clary, and, and I, I, I managed to find somebody who was associated with a with a football club here. I said, uh, "Do you know anything about this?" And he said, "Yeah, we 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 did actually have discussions ourselves um, with with a view to to trying to sign him." Mm. And um, when when we got to, uh, I, th- I think it was Argentina. Um, at the time, uh, there were 10 people claiming to be his agent, oh, all of whom wanted a slice of the deal, right. all of whom uh, were saying that they had Jonathan's best interests at heart. So I, I do feel sorry for this young man. I mean, he, he has been uh, passed around a bit like a hot potato around clubs in Europe. Um, the way that money is being made is that although – Somebody, or I suspect a collection of people, have paid 11 million euros for his services. Um, they've then recovered that on an annual basis from the loan fees. And, and that sort of leads, and I think Jamie also said, you know, um, are there any other examples where players are signed for big fees and they never play? Is there something going on? Um, well, if, if I mention my, my own club here, Brighton of Albion, um, we have the, the the great Percy Tao as one of our players. Uh, we signed Percy from South Africa. Uh, he's a South African international. He scored 12 goals in 28 games, um, and he's never played for us. Right. Uh, so we, we've uh, loaned him out to uh, Union SG in Belgium, Club Bruges, Anderlecht. And, and sometimes this is actually connected with work permit issues, which sort of you know, is connected to our previous question uh, and, and the post-Brexit environment. So, so work permit uh, issues are a challenge. Then taking a look at Mark Middling's question, is it worth keeping a player simply to loan him out? Um, Yes, it is, because what you might find is that you'll have a player in the, perhaps he's in the last year of his contract. And what you do is that you offer him a contract extension with relatively little intention of uh, actually playing or Playing the player yourself, but by the time you do the sums, if you if you if you send him out on loan for that final year, um, you can generate generate more revenue from the loan fee and the contribution made to the player's wages than from the cost of employing him yourself. Uh, and uh, an example of this is is a a player who is who's close to both of our hearts with with great affection. The one and only Glenn Murray. Uh, I mean, Glenn was out of contract uh, last summer at Brighton. They offered him a contract extension. Uh, he's 36 years old, so he was happy. You know, he he gets uh, certainty of income. And then in the summer, they loaned him out to Watford for the full year. 
Um, so he's he's in the he's effectively we give him a new contract and we said oh by the way by the way Glenn we don't actually want you to play for us but we're going to generate revenue from the loan deal and you know Watford's contribution towards your wages actually means potentially we could be making uh, a positive uh, financial uh, outcome out of all of this. Hmm. Has it ever occurred to you, Kieran, that uh, your man Percy uh, has gone out and loan a lot because he turned up in Brighton and just went, I don't like it. I don't like the smell of self-satisfaction that lingers in the air around this ground. I want to go to Belgium. Um, well, it, it's, it, a rhetorical, it be, I mean, it's a rhetorical question, Kieran, let's face it. <laughs> uh, speaking, it, it. It could be that he likes Belgian biscuits or something like that, for who, all I know. Who doesn't like a, um, Hang on a second, I need to check this. Is that a euphemism, Kieran? Belgian biscuit? I, don't, I never can tell with you, really. Because <laughs> if so, who doesn't like a Belgian biscuit? Um, uh, speaking of, of the, the club that shall not be named, Jeff Hollings... Uh, hello, Jeff. Jeff Holling says, as a Seagulls season ticket holder, uh, Jeff, I know the Seagulls of Brighton. I'm a, <laughs> you don't have to write the question in code. I'm a grown-up. You can ask a question as a Brighton fan. I will still read it out reluctantly and with some disquiet, but I will read it. So, anyway, posh Jeff, the Labrador-walking, quinoa-eating, smug Brighton fan, was wondering oh, – that's a tautology – was wondering what the cost was uh, – sorry, Jeff, that wasn't particularly grown up, was it? Um, was wondering what the cost was of allowing a chosen few in to see the friendly against Chelsea in August, which seems a very long time ago. It's a time when we were all optimistic that fans would be coming back. I think, was it 3,000 people, Kieran, were allowed in? Two, two, two and a half thousand. Two and a half thousand. So, because uh, Jeff points out that presumably there's a break-even point on fan numbers versus uh, official stewards' costs, etc. Yes. So here I go into my uh, break-even analysis lecture notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, th- th- this might be of, uh, of interest to you as well, Kevin. If, if you're thinking of put- putting on a gig... And you say, well, yeah, how many tickets do I need to sell before I make money? Mm. There are two types of cost that we need to take into consideration. The first of which is uh, what's referred to as a fixed cost. So let, let's say that uh, you, you want to do a gig, you go to a promoter or, or you go to a venue and they say, well, hire of the venue is going to cost us 500 quid. Now, that's going to be 500 quid whether you have uh, one person turn up in the audience yeah. or a thousand. Yeah. So that's the first thing you take into consideration. You then take your your variable costs. So it could be that um, that you've got to give a commission of, let's say, 20% on every ticket to the promoter or to the advertising agency or to uh, Ticketmaster, whoever's selling the tickets. So we've got two types of costs, fixed and variable. Then, of course, we've got the sales price of the tickets to take into consideration. And if you take your, uh, if you take your variable costs away from your ticket price, uh, that, that's effectively the amount of money you are making on each ticket. Um, and you divide your fixed costs by your contribution, and that gives you your break-even. So to give a quick example, let's say it's going to cost you £1,200 to hire a venue. Um, you're going to sell tickets for 20 quid. You've got to give Ticketmaster a fiver each time. So that gives you a contribution of 15. You divide one by the other, and it means that you've got to have at least 80 people in the venue before you break even. And then you, you know, I... If you, if you ever want any assistance of this, I know a man with a spreadsheet who can help. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Okay, does that answer Jeff's question? Yeah, I don't care. He's a bright it, it, it does. Yeah, yes, good. It does. Yeah, I, I, really, I, I can't tell you how little interest I have in any questions about <laughs> Brighton, Hove, Albion, Kieran. Um, well, that's why I tried to personalise it, you see. Yes, yes. You, 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 I went to my happy place. It's fine, Kieran. <laughs> I, just waited for, I just waited for it to stop. Um, now, our next two questions are, are, are linked again. Uh, guys on Red Hot form this week, I think possibly down to that Zoom meeting we had with him. He tends to get really efficient for the two days after we have a Zoom meeting. Um, Harry Haskett, first of all, asks, am I right in thinking there's no prize money in the Carabao Cup until the semi-finals, uh, thus making it entirely pointless financially playing games behind closed doors, while the EFL trophy, on the other hand, has a, has a generous prize pot? And Adam Barker, on a very similar note, says the winners of the Carabao Cup, or whatever it's called, this season will qualify for UEFA's new third club competition. Uh, and with Carabao prize money already paltry, he said, how much lower in value than not even getting into the Europa League does that make that cup now? OK, well, if, if we start off with, with Harry's question, he is absolutely correct. Is he really? uh, as far as the Carabao Cup is concerned, if you win, you get 100 grand. If you're a runners-up, you get 50 grand. I think if you get knocked out in the semi-finals, you get 25 grand each. Is that all? So, yeah, we, we are not talking Charlie Big Potatoes here. Um, but the, the clubs also do get to share the gate receipts. So 45% goes to uh, each of the two clubs for a match after expenses have been deducted. I think the, the, the other 10% is sort of, you know, it goes to the EFL as, as part of their administrative running costs, which, which, which is fair. It's exactly the same as the, the FA Cup. In terms of is it therefore worth having the Carabao Cup? Um, I, I did a bit of digging here. Um, at present, the, the EFL gets £119 million a year from um, from the TV deal. But the EFL TV deal uh, consists of the, the matches taking place in the Championship League 1 and League 2, the Carabao Cup, and the, the playoffs. Now... There's a report that I've read, and I think this is probably over-egging it a wee bit, that says that the Carabao Cup is worth £80 of the £119 as far as the annual TV revenues for the EFL are concerned. So although the clubs aren't generating money directly in terms of progress in the competition, when the EFL are sharing out TV money indirectly, that is going to actually help their member clubs. Right. Um, so, and I think this is something we need to take into consideration when looking at Project Big Picture, because under Project Big Picture, the Carabao Cup gets binned, which means that that £80 million a season that it's contributing towards EFL clubs um, will therefore simply disappear into the ether. Um, the, the EFL is apparently having to give a £25 million rebate to uh, Sky for changes to the Carabao Cup in 2020-21. Uh, Because it's been effectively a slimmed-down competition, it's been a competitive competition. Uh, I understand, and I'm due to be uh, corrected on this, um, that uh, that is being borne by the clubs in the Premier League because I think they were the least interested. Right. so, so that's where we are. Now, if we then look at the, the Papa John's trophy, the, the EFL trophy, which is a combination of sort of clubs in the lower leagues and B teams or under 23 teams from the Premier League and so on, um, that does have an overall £3 million prize fund. 
Um, I think you get £10,000 if you win a group match. This is this is to actually encourage uh, clubs to put out half-decent teams yeah, because the managers have said, yeah, we're interested in getting promoted. Yeah, we, we don't give a stuff about you know getting into the last 16 of the, the Papa John's trophy. So that the... The uh, EFL, and, and again, I think this is a sensible decision, have given them uh, financial incentives. £100,000 goes to the winners as well. So it, you know, it, it, is, it is a bit better. Then looking at Adam's uh, d- discussion or, or raising the issue of the, the snappily named Europa Conference League. <laughs> this is going to be the, the, the third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is going to be the third competition in uh, Europe, is that what it's now, called? Yep, yep. I, you know, clearly, some somebody in marketing was having a, a blue sky thinking day when they came up with this one. Um, that's, that's, and, a, that's a short meeting. I mean, that's that's somewhere in in Switzerland. They've had a Zoom meeting that they really didn't want to attend. This basically, what's, oh, what a terrible, terrible name! It is. It sounds like a it lounge is. in a hotel. So we have, where should we have that meeting? Well, the Europa, Europa Conference was free. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I don't know why that's made me so angry. With all the things that we're discussing today, why, <laughs> yes. that's, why that's the one that's really made me angry, I don't know. We had a question about Brighton that I managed to get through without losing my temper, but the Europa Conference just, just really annoyed me. So I think at present we've got um, I think we've got thirty two teams in the Champions League. I think we've either got forty or forty eight in in the Europa League. And, and the proposed changes, which are coming in from the start of next season, is now that we're going to have three competitions, thirty two clubs in each, so a total of ninety six clubs um, across UEFA's three competitions. And, and the aim here is is to spread the wealth. At present, there are 26 different countries represented um, in the Champions League and the Europa League. Um, the intention here is to increase that to, to 34. So you know, if, if you're in Northern Ireland, for example, you know, you, you've got practically zero chance of, of making progress into getting into these competitions. So th- this would be a beneficiary. The, the big elephant in the room, however, is that UEFA have been coy, and coy is another word for silent, <laughs> as to how much money is going to be on available for this particular competition. And, and this, this is important because it has implications for the, the winners of the Carabao Cup. Yeah. Um, at present, uh, the way that UEFA operates is that uh, 80% of the money goes to the, the Champions League and 20% goes to the uh, Europa League. And if you remember, there's more teams in the Europa League than Champions League. That does have a huge impact. And, and that's why there's always such a bun fight within the the, you know, the, the the bigger clubs in the Premier League to get into that top four. Um, you could end up... You know, if, if these matches are taking place, and again, that's not yet been decided. Is it going to be a Thursday night? Is it going to be a Friday night? Yeah. We don't yet know. Um, for the, the opportunity of whoever wins the Carabao Cup this this year to be playing the third best team in Albania on a Friday night. Well, also, I mean, Harry and Adam. Basically, what they've told us is that it's very difficult for a manager to motivate his players for a Carabao Cup game at the moment because basically you're saying to your players. Look, lads, there's no money. Uh, there's a there's a notional share of probably eighty million quid that we won't see, and if we do win this, we're off to Albania. It's, it's a difficult ask to motivate. Albania is a lovely country, so I'm told. But you know, in the circumstances, that's a, a difficult ask for any manager to motivate people. Um, 
Anyway, um, is, isn't Norman Wisdom famous in Albania? Yeah, Norman Wisdom is the most famous person in Albania by a country mile. Uh, they, for a, a long time, under the dictatorship of Enver Hoxha, the only films that were shown uh, in Albanian cinemas were Norman Wisdom films because the Albanian dictator uh, decided that Norman Wisdom's character, Pitkin, represented... Uh, the everyday worker against uh, Mr. Grimsdale, who represented the evil powers of capitalism. Uh, there you go. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, the second most famous person in Albania is Tony Hawks, not the skateboarder, which says a lot about Albania. Because Tony Hawks wrote a terrible, terrible song for Normal Wisdom and got it into the Albanian pop chart, uh, which I think still only consists of Normal Wisdom songs. Uh, I wasn't expecting. People say that I look like Tony Hawks. Do they? Well, yes. Uh, you're... <laughs> not, not, not the skateboarder. Yeah, and I, and I don't take it as a compliment. But other people say I look like Martin Keown, and I take that even less of a compliment. Ah, uh, yeah, Martin Keown, who, as we know, tried to chat Ali up in a Oxford shoe shop, um, asking. I'm sure I've told you this. He, he sidled up to her with the immortal phrase, "You look, look like a girl who knows her way around the Dr. Martin." Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it made me laugh so much anyway Hi I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry in each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by our below-the-waist grooming partner, Manscaped. Now, regular listeners will know that I prefer a natural garden, but Kieran has been very busy clearing the weeds from his lawn. Indeed, I have, Kevin. Uh, if, if you don't want it to look like Terry Waite's allotment down below, then I thoroughly recommend the Manscaped 3.0 lawnmower. Um it's got a ceramic, uh, it's got a ceramic head, so to reduce the number of potential nicks, you don't want to get anything cut down there. Um, it's, uh, it's it's got a very long life battery, lasts as long as uh, potentially as ninety minutes if you want a longer shave. And and one other thing, um, they've now got a weed whacker, and this is a nose and ear trimmer. Uh, it's also available, so you can you can keep your your top of your head uh, as smooth as below the waist. Mm. Well, if you want your nose, ears and sack to be as well-groomed as Kieran's, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping using the code Price of Football. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code Price of Football. And next week's code is Bye Bye BAFTA. Neville Miller has asked our next question. Uh, Neville Miller starts with a guaranteed way of getting his question asked, which is uh, a million thank yous for the pod. You're very welcome. Neville says, just out of interest, have Kieran's dog and Kevin's cat ever met? Uh, no. It would be an interesting meeting, but we, <laughs> uh, we, uh, our relationship is quite similar because Kieran is very enthusiastic but occasionally needy. 
Uh, <laughs> and I'm surly, but prepared to be affectionate for food. So, <laughs> uh, Kieran, Neville asked a question. Now, we, we talked about this on a semi-regular basis in the first three or four pods we had. Uh, and Neville says the directors at Rangers have been lending 10 to £15 million pound per season to the club using share issues to continue to operate. I suspect, says Neville, that this can't last forever and things may be getting close to insolvency again. I'm not particularly sure if there's anything specific that makes Neville think that, but he would like to know what you think about the financial state of Rangers because they're going very well on the pitch at the moment, aren't they? They are, indeed. Well, I mean, uh, funnily enough, after Neville... Um, asked this question, which, which producer guy sent to us a couple of days ago. Uh, Rangers kindly published their accounts on, oh, on well Friday done, night. Um, so, so yesterday I, I was on a podcast called This Is Ibrox, um, which which was uh, which was very good. It was a very very nice uh, guy there who uh, who was asking the question. So I have actually mugged up on okay. uh, Rangers accounts. Uh, I mean, the club is is probably losing. Realistically, around about three hundred thousand pounds a week. A week, a week. But that's that's not that's not excessive. Is that so, is know, that during the pandemic, Kieran, or was before? No, uh, well, that was that was last season. Oh, okay. So, so there the, there was a little impact of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, but look, looking at Rangers numbers uh, and going back to what we've been talking about in terms of the Europa League, the Europa League has made a huge financial impact. On Rangers, that uh, they got to the the group stages, they got through the group stages, and, and they got into the last. I think it was the last thirty two or the last sixteen um, of the competition, uh, and that generated a lot of money for the club. So, so their income has gone up in twenty nineteen twenty, despite the impact of, of COVID. Um, th- their owners, uh, and they've got a variety of owners. That they've been trying to attract new investors. Um, they are committed, or rather, they they need to put in a further nine million pounds this season, and they estimate a further fourteen million pounds next season in order to in order to break even. So Stephen Gerrard has come in. He clearly Stephen Gerrard is high profile player now, high profile manager. He won't be cheap. He's he's encouraged the board of directors to invest in players. So um, over the last four to five seasons, I think we're now looking at, a, at an investment in the squad of around about £50 million. And that, of course, you've got wages to, to match that. So what Rangers need to do is uh, the owners don't want to be putting their hands into their pocket every year, but I think they're prepared to do so. If Rangers win the Scottish Premiership this season, that would mean that they would be qualifying for the knockout or rather the preliminary stages of the, the Champions League, get into the Champions League uh, group stages, and that's a real game changer for any club. Um, that's worth normally in, in the region of around about £30 million a season. So um, I, I think that's what uh, the, the, clubs, uh, the club is looking to do. They are, they are using the investors. They are using the, the directors and, and the, the other people who are connected with the club to uh, fund the losses, which is no different to Roman Abramovich. It's, it's no different yeah. to what Steve Parrish has done yeah. at times at Palace, what Tony Bloom does at Brighton and so on. Um, so I, I don't think that they want it to go on forever, but it, it, it can certainly go on for another uh, few seasons. Uh, they do have some wealthy backers these days, Rangers, if uh, if the stories coming from a variety of sources are, are, are accurate, and there's no reason to, to doubt that. Um, but you know, given a choice before between funding the club or being the, the club, you know, washing its own face, I'm sure they'd rather take the latter. 
Yeah. Uh, our next question, Kieran, comes from a Wigan fan, Anthony Hall. Uh, Anthony says, can you comment on the fact that the administrators at Wigan seem to have built in a clause that means they get the initial £250,000 of the sell-on fees for some of our players? Well, if it's true, Anthony, I could certainly comment, but it wouldn't be broadcastable. But Kieran, is this the case? Um, I've, I've I've looked at this. I've, I've found nothing from the administrators to this effect themselves. Um as far as Wigan are concerned, Begbies, who are the administrators, they still have not sold the club. Things things are dragging on. Right. A couple of days ago, they extended the exclusivity period for uh, the the Spanish uh, bid. Um, they believe that these bidders do have proof of funds. Uh, clearly, we've got the owners and directors test to be satisfied with regards to the ability to fund the club for the next two years. Um, and I would imagine that the the uh, both the administrators and the EFL will be treating this one with kid gloves after what happened in the summer, uh, and our friend Al Young. Yeah. Um. So uh, we'll have to wait and see if they if they are going to take uh, two hundred and fifty grand uh, on top of their fees. That does seem pretty pretty horrendous. Uh. The the. The administrators' fees are just over, or they're estimated to be just over a million pounds. But I think that if there is a successful sale, they get a one third uplift. So therefore, they're going to get another three hundred grand. And, and you say, well, is the club going to lose out? The club's not going to lose out. The creditors are going to lose out. Yeah. You know, the, the, the the local businesses have supplied Wigan in good faith. So um, I think that has to be approved by the creditors. Um, we have seen the administrators sell players such as Joe Geldhart to Leeds for a million pounds. I believe there's a twenty percent sell-on clause. Um, you know, but yeah, we don't know whether you know Joe's going to break into the team, how long that's going to take, how much they're going to sell him for. Um, and if if the administrators are taking that, that that seems to me to to be, uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. To put it quite mildly, if- you know. It, Sorry, you, you work on an hourly rate, as far as I'm concerned, and get, getting getting step ups is like these is very well, harsh. You've sort of answered my question. Would it be unprecedented? Because I, I would I would assume, as I think many Wigan fans and football fans would assume, that the, as you say, the administrator gets a fixed fee. So that's um, you need to get a silencer on that water bottle. You know that, Kieran, or <laughs> or open it a bit further away for the moment. I presume it's a, a water bottle, Kieran. It may be that you've decided after all these years to turn to the alcohol to get you through this podcast i mean is it unprecedented do you do you know of situations where administrators at a club have, have added on little bits here and there i'm i'm not familiar with it myself because normally it's that in my experience of working for a firm of administrators you you sell the company for the highest price you can get and then you move on to your next job right. and and what happens thereafter um, isn't really of any of the interest. I mean, I've sold companies for X, and and they've been sold twenty four hours later for for X times three or four because somebody was you know acting as a middleman and you know, being quite sneaky. Um, football is is different because the club um, does have a relationship with not only the the new owner of the player or the new owner of the player's registration, but can can uh, embed clauses into contracts 
And in theory, the, there's no, nothing to stop the administrators saying, well, we should have a slice of that as well. Though what they've done to deserve uh, uh, anything or in respect of Joe Geltart or um, uh, Jensen Weir or some of the other players that have been sold, because as far as I'm aware, not many accountants have uh, UEFA Pro licenses when it comes to uh, player training and development. Well, if there is anybody listening from Begbies, is it the administrator? Begbies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if there's anybody listening, uh, feel free to come onto the show and, and give us your uh, side of the story. Uh, we're still waiting for Steve Dale, by the way, to get back to our request, Kieran, which was very politely put. Uh, so I'm not holding my breath that Begbies will come on either, but you know, we, we're always keen to put both sides of the argument. Now, uh, our next question, Kieran, comes from Den, just Den. Uh, so you know it's going to be about Millwall or West Ham, basically. Uh, uh, Den says, the move to the London Stadium doesn't appear to have increased revenue significantly for West Ham. So I'm wondering if, because they don't own their own stadium, is West Ham's valuation higher or lower since they moved away? And would potential buyers see the tenancy as a negative or a positive? Yeah, this this is intriguing because... Um, according to uh, a, a source, uh, and this source is called Karen Brady's own website, um, <laughs> West Ham, uh, West Ham's owners turned down an eight hundred million pound offer for the club. Yeah, uh, and, when, and when I read that, I, I fell off my chair. Yeah. Ooh, well. um, so you know, that's, we know un- that that's unusual, Kieran, because normally your chair's got straps on the arms, I believe. So <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> Uh, that's for another pod. Um, <laughs> if, if you think that Newcastle United are up for sale for three hundred million pounds, yeah. and that includes St James's Park in, in terms of the freehold and so on, um, and if they're claiming West Ham are worth eight hundred million, and that doesn't include you, are, you are just the tenant. It, it, that that seems strange. I mean, what you you've got to give credit to if you. Um, if, if you're David Gold or David Sullivan or Karen Brady, is managing to persuade uh, the, the City of London to, or whoever is the official, I think it's L20 is the name of the company, to to rent you the London Stadium for two and a half million pounds a year um, and also pay for all, you know, the vast majority of the running costs yeah. and maintenance costs. So in terms of evaluation, what, what you could argue is that, um, given that you're effectively getting the benefits of the stadium for free, uh, that that could be a positive. Although my understanding is that, that West Ham are effectively renting the London Stadium for t- uh, 25 days a year. Uh, yeah. And the rest of the time, uh, L20 or whatever the name of this company is, is, is able to hire it out for other purposes. So therefore, you know, catering hospitality on non-match days I, I presume that that money goes uh, back into the, the it goes it goes into London as opposed to West Ham. Um, looking at West Ham's finances since leaving uh, the bowling ground, Stroke Upton Park, I call it Upton Park. Um, uh, match day income has gone up, but it's gone up by seven million quid. Now that that's the equivalent of what three or yeah, that's the equivalent of going up from. 14th to 10th in the Premier League. It's, yeah. it's it's not a huge sum given that the the capacity at the stadium has gone up from realistically what West Ham were playing in front of mid 30s about 34 yeah. 35 yeah, yeah. now now it's 60. Um yeah I'm, I'm and I'm 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 
reluctant to uh, say anything uh, over pleasant about uh, David Gold and David Sullivan, although I used to work for uh, David Sullivan, I believe, when I, when I used to run the sex shop back in the 80s. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if, if I'd stayed on, you know, where, 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 where could I be today? I could, I could be his right-hand man, perhaps, you know. And- I, uh, no, I, wouldn't, no, I wouldn't want to be his right-hand man, here, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they, they did manage to get a good deal. They have kept season ticket prices yeah, low, yeah. although... Yeah, as we know, as, as away fans, it's probably the, o- the only stadium you go to where you need opera glasses to see what's happening on the pitch yeah. because it's it, it's an athletic stadium which has been quasi converted to play football, and and it's it's imperfect in that regard. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Our penultimate question, uh, Kieran, comes from Chris Devine. It's a very simple question, uh, but it's a good one. It's about the salary cap in the EFL. Is it simply a case that clubs cannot exceed? the cap at 2.5 million in League One and 1.5 million in League Two. And if so, what would be the punishment for doing? Right. Um, the, the way that it operates is that the squad salary cap, so it doesn't affect individual players. Effectively, you've got a pool of money yeah, to play with. Yeah. So in theory, you could pay one player £2 million a year in League One and the rest of the squad half a million between them, which we should imagine will cause fun in the showers. Um, but... Uh, in, in terms of this, if you exceed the limits by 5%, you end up being fined or taxed on that access. Anything uh, in uh, anything that goes beyond 5%, then you would be put up on a charge by the EFL and you'd be put, for, put before the board. Normally, this goes to sports resolutions, uh, this sort of arbitration service, and you, you would have to present your case, the EFL would present their case, and the sanctions in theory are, are unlimited. You know, Normally, transfer embargoes, fines, points deductions, you know, ultimate, you, know, you could be expelled from the EFL, although I think that would be unlikely. It would it would have to be points deductions, Kieran, really, because otherwise you're in a situation where, you know, we talk about Stoke City and they're very rich owners. If if they happen to be in League One, then financially they could exceed the salary cap as much as they want and just pay whatever fine they wanted, wouldn't they? Because they could afford yeah. it. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I'm in agreement with you. Um, I, I have spoken to uh, one or two club owners with regards to this. Um, and they say that whilst they are broadly in favour of uh, of this uh, squad salary cap, um, they've been approached by both uh, our, our friends who have silver tongues and agents who have already come up with avoidance schemes. So, oh, right. uh, you know, th- this this is going to make money for some people. The PFA are opposed to it, um, which. Uh, which seems strange, given that uh, Gordon Taylor's salary will actually play for the for more than 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 yeah. the the whole squad of a of a League Two club, um, so, and I, I believe that they have uh, they've launched some form of legal case with regards to it. Um, you know, but there there are there there are these squad salary caps in, in other sports. You know, rugby league, rugby union, cricket. Uh, certainly, uh, in, in American franchises, the, the, these are sort of the norm. So I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not got a, a, a foot in either case, really. Yeah. Uh, before I ask the final question, Kieran, that was very interesting. But can I point out that nearly every question I ask you comes back to having fun in the shower somewhere. <laughs> now, subconsciously, there's something you need to tell me about. Now, our final question comes from Todd Davis, uh, and I like this question. 
Uh, I like all our questions, but I like this question from Todd. Uh, Sergio Regulon signed for Spurs from Madrid with a buyback clause. If Madrid decide to exercise that option a couple of years down the line, does Sergio have to agree? What if he falls in love with the Europa League and domestic cup semi-finals and chose to stay at Tottenham? Which makes me think that Todd is one of those, either one of those very rare things, uh, a self-aware Spurs fan or an Arsenal fan with a sense of humour. But it's the, the actual question is a good one. What if a player doesn't want to be sold back? Um, well, he he's he's signed an employment contract right. with Spurs, as far as I'm concerned. Was that yeah? Um, and in, and if, and if that contract's for four years, he could decline. Um, the, the trouble with issues of this nature is that if he refuses to go back to Madrid, um, and Spurs want him to go back, they they can start to. Uh, they're perfect within the right to say, well, well okay, um, you're not going to be in the first team squad. We're going to make you train with the under 23s and the kids uh, because you're a disruptive influence and things of this nature. So some, sometimes it's it, it's the least worst thing to do from the players' career prospects to, to go along with uh, an arrangement such as this. Okay, well, Todd, that was a really good question. Uh, And I like the way you put it. Well done. Uh, And if you have questions for us on any aspect of football finance, then I should think you know by now that you send them to questions at priceoffootball.com. I will say goodbye and hand you over to Kieran for a short message. Thank you, folks, again for your feedback. Thank you again for your questions. I did have a quick chat with producer Guy um, a couple of days ago. We have 279 unanswered questions. <laughs> so, so we will, we genuinely will do our best to get through as many as we can. Uh, you know, we, we try to get a, a dozen done every Sunday, but it does take a, a fair amount of time to research. Um, if you're enjoying the show, thanks again for your, your feedback. If you could press that subscribe button uh, and if you could leave us uh, a review on, uh, on, on the Apple podcast app, uh, you know, producer guy says it, it's good for, it's good for business in the sense that it helps us up the charts. Uh, we don't know how that works um, but and don't, you don't have to me, me and kevin don't know an awful lot when it comes to the technological time of this show. um as, as as people have pointed out following uh liam's uh liam scully's interview on wednesday where we both thought that liam was doing a, a norman collier impersonation but just presumed that the software would automatically fix that and it didn't um so yeah you you can say uh Whatever you wish. Um, so, you know, if, if if you want to say that you, you'd rather the show was presented by Pretty Patel and Norman Wisdom, then you know, we don't care. Yeah, you know, we, we our egos can take it. Uh, but apart from that, uh, do look after yourselves. Do look sa- Do do keep safe. Uh, presently at home, my um, my wonderful wife, the Baroness has tested positive for COVID-19. So we are stuck inside the house together, uh, which, which is a real shame for me. She's, she's, being, she's being very, very careful. Uh, she's, she's walking around uh, with a mask and latex gloves, which normally only ever happens on my birthday. Um, so, uh, so you know, this is a horrendous disease. If you do get it, you know, we're, we're trying to look after ourselves. Make sure you do that and look after your loved ones. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that about the Baroness. Do send her uh, our love. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't. She probably won't thank me for telling you this, but when uh, after we interviewed Liam the other day, and I said to Ali, "It's a really good interview, really interesting, but there's a couple of technical issues, which I'm sure Guy could tweak that in the edit." And Ali's eyebrows shot up to their normal place. She said, "Do you know that's your answer to everything?" 
<laughs> somebody can tweak it in the edit. <laughs> it should be fine. Tickle it in post. That'd be great. Um, thanks to sorry it's good to end on a laugh isn't it even though he's just told me your wife's testing positive for COVID I do that's a terrible thing Uh, yes uh, love to her and of course to any of you at home who are also self-isolating and we'll see you next week bye 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 Bye, son, for the fall.